Chicago is getting ready to launch a new model to respond to mental health crisis calls, one without cops. Last fall, the city put together two new teams to respond to 911 calls. The teams had a mental health clinician, a paramedic, and a police officer. Now the city says it's waiting to get state approval for a new team with just a paramedic and mental health clinician. City officials say Chicago would be the first Illinois city to set up responses for 911 mental health crisis calls that don't include the police. Joining us now to discuss is WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell. Hey, Chip. Good afternoon, Sasha. Chip, give us more background on the city's crisis response teams. Like, how did this all start? Well, every year, uh, 911 gets tens of thousands of calls that involve some sort of mental health situation. Um, and for years, for, you know, this going, going back decades, maybe forever, the, the, the main response, the only response, um, has been to send police officers. And um, too often, um, mental, health, mental health advocates say that the, these calls lead to arrests, and hospitalizations. Um, sometimes the calls go horribly wrong. Um, there have been many police shootings, um, there are tasering's uh, of people that that are experience the cri- experiencing the crisis when uh, the police show up. Um, you know, James Anderson, Quintonio Legrier, and his neighbor Betty Jones, most famously Laquan McDonald. Um, one of the first cases I ever covered in Chicago was about Raul Barriera. He was a 21-year-old 20, with schizophrenia. He was living with his mom in Humboldt Park. And he was in crisis one night, barricaded in his room, and the mom, she called 911 for help. She told the call taker, there's tape of this, that he was having a mental health crisis. The cops showed up. They say he lunged at them with a knife, and they tasered him, and then they shot him, and he died. Mm-hmm. So these kinds of situations uh, were not rare. Um, for years, the police department now has been training officers for what it calls crisis intervention. But there's been a growing sense that this is not enough, that the problem uh, in many cases is simply the presence of police officers, um, that they can tr- actually trigger, um, you know, escalate tensions, and um, that can go awfully wrong. Another problem is that when the police responded, there was no good system in place to follow up and make sure that people got connected to the care they need, Sasha. Yeah. So this this current team in place, Chip, which neighborhoods are the mental health clinicians dispatched to? Okay, so th- this program um, that the city launched last year, um, operations started in September. There are actually two teams. Um, they both work out of a van. Each team has three people on it, a mental health clinician, a paramedic, and a police officer, as you mentioned. There are, there are these two teams. They um, Together they work just one shift, the day shift, just on weekdays, and just in five of the city's community areas. I see. So this new team, is it a sign that the programs that were piloted last fall are, are going well? Well, yeah, this is a pilot program. It's a small pilot program, and city public health officials are very stoked about it. They say it's going very well. Um, these t- first two teams, um, the ones that, that include police officers, they've carried out more than 160 mental health responses, according to the officials. That's just since September, and not a single one, they say, has had an arrest or a use of force, Sasha. Wow. 
Well, Chip, you, you talked with Jennifer Garris, who's a, a mental health clinician. What was she like? Well, she's been in social work for about 25 years. She's white, um, middle-aged. She's from the Chicago area, but in recent years, she's been part of crisis response units in Dallas, Texas. She moved back here late last summer for, for this job to be on these two crisis response teams. All right, well, let's hear a little bit of Jennifer now. We do need to be careful. The officers that we work with, once they've made the scene safe, like like just made sure that everything is okay, we go in and do our job. Like they don't interfere. They're not. Do you, do you personally ever feel unsafe? Like I'm glad the cop was here with us. I haven't, but I can think of situations that could arise that I would. Jim, it, it sounds like police officers are mostly pretty hands off while she does her job, but. She recognizes a situation could arise where she does need backup. So is this, you think, reason enough for keeping police on the teams? Well, Mayor Lightfoot's administration says including police on these teams actually expands the types of calls they can handle. And uh, they say without police, it would not be safe to dispatch um, the social workers and the paramedics to situations where it's known where the 911 callers can suss out that there's a weapon or an, uh, uh, an attack's already t- taken place. Um, and they'll even phrase this in terms of equity. It's equity for the people uh, who are experiencing mental illness to, uh, you know, that they should get the, you know, the response that is appropriate for their situation. But, uh, Sasha, we learned actually something from Garros, you know, about having police on these teams. Um, I don't think this is widely known. She, she says on at least some of her team's calls, uh, the officer who is part of this three-member team will first make sure that the scene is safe, safe before the social worker and the paramedic can um, get to get to their do do their work, um, do the talking, do the do do the medical treatment. And we know from a lot of situations that. Just the presence of a police officer, having the police officer be the first one that is seen on a scene can be triggering for the person that's experienced the crisis. Now, these cops are not wearing a, a normal police uniform, but they, they are in uniform. They're, they're, they look official, and they're, and they're armed. So, you know, when a, if, if a stranger comes in with a sidearm, with a, with a, a, a service pistol, um, that itself um, can escalate tensions. And um, I, I, one thing I will be watching is, is um, whether with some of these methods, um, you know, whether we have some bad outcomes. Yeah, very interesting observation there, Chip. Uh, You know, I mentioned earlier that the city's getting ready to launch two crisis response teams that won't have cops. Tell us more about those plans. Yeah, so they are nearly ready, they say, to try out what they're calling it. They're calling it alternate response teams. Um, this one that is uh, ready to go, the people are hired and trained and in place, um, it, it, this team will include a social worker and a paramedic without the police. Um, and it was at first, uh, the target launch was going to be late last year. They're, they're talking November, December. Um, Omicron hit. It tied up the fire department and, para- and paramedics and a lot of city resources. Um, so the Chicago Department of Public Health, um, uh, you know, delayed plans. Um, now they say they are stuck on getting the 911 protocols for so how to how to determine basically what sorts of calls are appropriate for this team that doesn't include, include police to get those protocols approved by the state Illinois uh, the Illinois Department of Public Health Pritzker administration 
Um, mm-hmm. That has been going on for weeks and weeks now, um, and there is no word from the state on exactly when that approval will take place. Um, Chicago f- officials are saying, you know, it's it could be any day. Yeah. The, the mental health piece of this is so important, and, and the, the follow-up, it seems, that, that these mental health professionals do with folks who are in crisis is unique. So what do mental health advocates think about this program and the direction it's going in? Well, you know, there, there is follow-up now that is much more deliberate. Um, you know, Garris was telling me about calls where, where she, she, she was able to get a phone number of the person, and, and, and she's going to be following up with this person who, who's actually had physical complaints, but um, she also has bipolar disorder, and Garris is, is just going to make a call and see if she can make a visit to make sure that this, that, that, that this woman is getting the care, care that she needs. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they they work closely with uh, uh, nonprofit agencies um, um, on both the north and south side to connect people to the care that they need. So it's not just a you know a, a one afternoon thing. Now there is another non police team I wanted to mention, Sasha, that is um, that is uh, going to be going online according to city officials this summer. So that'll make four teams altogether. Two of them without police officers. This next one will be uh, focused on mental health crises. That have to do with substance abuse, and it will consist of a paramedic and a peer counselor, Sasha. So we're expecting that this summer on the west side. That'll make four teams that are uh, set up for mental health crisis response in Chicago. That's WBEZ reporter Chip Mitchell. Chip, thanks so much. My pleasure. Now we'll hear how crisis intervention works in another part of the country. Ann Jenks is an organizer for the Coalition for Police Accountability in Oakland. She helped launch a pilot program there, and she joins us now. Hi, Ann. Welcome back to Reset. Thank you. And Oakland's pilot program, that's been going longer than Chicago's. Ours just started last fall. So tell us how it's going in Oakland now. Uh, We have certainly been talking about crisis response longer than Chicago. Uh, we started uh, three years ago, um, but the program is in implementation. In fact, the responders are being trained at the moment, so no van has yet hit the uh, hit the streets. Um, our program is a little bit different, but we've also, over the last three years, talked to programs throughout the country, um, some of which have gone online much more quickly than we have, including San Francisco. Um, and uh, the, the really interesting piece of it is that no matter what the composition of programs is, if there's not police presence, they're not finding it to be a real problem in terms of their responses. What were you seeing three years ago that, that sparked the conversations? Uh, the police shot a uh, unhoused person who was asleep um, and, uh, you know, it was just a massive military kind of response. And then after that, a lot of homeless advocates and unhoused people came to our police commission and to the city council to say, you need to de-escalate these situations. We need to find a better solution. We got in touch with Cahoots in Eugene, Oregon, that's been doing this for 30 years. They respond with not a clinician, but just a well-trained community person uh, and with a EMT. And they've literally never had an injury. Um, And so we brought them down and we started the conversations and we designed a, a model that kind of specifically addressed the needs and resources of our city of Oakland.
Mm-hmm. What's the response been like from the community in Oakland? I have never seen something that was as universally supported as an alternative emergency response. The folks in the hills, uh, who are the rich people, um, they not only support doing something that just makes a tremendous amount of sense, it's good government, um, but they also like the idea of, of displacing the police so the police can focus on more serious crime. So have there been any instances where, where mental health professionals are dispatched and they need backup from cops? So talking about other programs throughout the country, um, the rate at which people, teams call for some kind of backup is well under 1% in really any of these programs. And backup doesn't mean, you know, I'm being held hostage. Uh, backup means that something is going on. Somebody reported to me that they've been raped and they want to file a, you know, they want to file a police report. I can't do that. Somebody wants in Eugene, Oregon, the teams have decided that they won't, if somebody says I'm not feeling very well and I really think there shouldn't be a gun in my house, they don't want to take the gun. So they'll call the police in to, to, if somebody wants to surrender their gun. So there's a lot of reasons for it, but these teams are well-trained on safety they assess the situation, you know, they take reasonable precautions. And basically what Cahoots has been saying for 30 years is people in crisis are not dangerous to us. They're in crisis. And so these, you know, well-trained teams are very capable of assessing the situation and, and handling it. It's also possible to really expand beyond the identified mental health calls to a lot of low-level calls. You know, public urination, do you really want to arrest people for that? Um, let's find out what's going on and let's help them figure out, you know, where they need to be right now. Um, so there's a lot of low-level calls that really could be addressed. Probably 20 to 25% of all emergency calls just are very, very obvious, don't really require any police response. Yeah. What else can you tell us about the model you're working up in, in Oakland? So we very consciously did not want to require a clinician. Uh, what we had heard from Eugene and what we heard from a lot of clinicians is that this isn't really clinical work. This is standing under an overpass at 2 a.m. and helping that person figure out what they need right then to, to, to solve the situation. And that, you know, clinicians, when they have been involved, have often said, I don't feel like I'm actually using my education and my experience because I'm not diagnosing, I'm not medicating, I'm not creating a long-term care plan. I'm dealing with this situation and maybe connecting people to additional services. But, you know, that's when you need might need a clinician, but you don't, under the overpass, really need that clinical support. The other problem with clinical support is that, I mean, there's definitely a role for them within the program, but as responders, less so, it, it appears. But the other problem is that there's a real dearth of enough clinicians right now, let alone clinicians that demographically reflect the neighborhoods that they're, they're serving. So what we've really focused on in Oakland is recruiting people who reflect the neighborhoods, who have experience from the neighborhoods. We've ensured very low barriers to employment so that our fire department could hire the people who were going to be the best responders and then train them well. Yeah. We just talked with WBEZ's Chip Mitchell. I know you were listening along to -hmm. that conversation, and uh, we talked in one moment about how mental health advocates didn't feel like the city was moving quickly enough 
to, to scale up these programs. Were there any concerns like that in Oakland? We've been working on it for three years. Yeah. I could have given birth to an elephant in less time. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. And I, I really did appreciate the interview with Chip Mitchell. He has a, has a very in-depth understanding of the situation. Um, you know, it does take some time to shift things, and I just hope that uh, Chicago will continue to look at opportunities to bring in people who have similar experiences to the people in the neighborhoods as responders, um, and they also look at expanding the calls to other low-level – they tend to be called quality-of-life calls. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who's screaming in the park is not necessarily identified as a mental health call. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of low level calls that need de-escalation. They need problem solving and they need people coming in who can talk respectfully and and in a way that centers the person that is the subject of the call. Yeah. Well, you know, Chicago's mayor says that including police officers on these teams allows them to respond to more types of calls while on duty. <laughs> What do you think of that? Well, I would say that um, uh, every community needs to work this out for themselves. But um, number one, it means that you're not saving any money, um, which for most cities is a is a real consideration. The teams that we're creating in Oakland can respond to a broad range of low level calls and enable the police to go do policing work, because I'll tell you what the police I talk to will often say, I'm not a social worker. I don't want to be on these calls. I don't have the resources. And also, they take a tremendous amount of time. So, you know, there's that aspect to it. Uh, I think there's a massive number of low-level calls to look at before we start looking at uh, what I call the wobblers. Like, Mm -hmm. these are the gray area calls. that, Like, let's do the easy stuff first. And then we can move on. Unwanted person is a call that tends to be very common and typically it's an unhoused person who's somewhere that somebody doesn't want them mm-hmm. and if you look at Chicago's calls I would guess that you've got a lot of that or they might be called trespass let's do the easy stuff and the easy stuff can very clearly be done without police you can I mean I can give you 10 different programs that are up and running and will say to you we're doing calls without police and it's working well so where do you hope to see this effort go in the future? I would hope for expansion. Uh, I would hope that more jurisdictions start looking at not using clinicians on the teams, but as part of, you know, the overall program, providing support to the teams, um, hiring people into excellent jobs. We fought very, very hard to pay these responders as emergency responders. Um, with low barriers to employment so that we could really recruit from the neighborhoods that they're responding in um, and uh, and then just expand it. And then when we're uh, when we're responding to 20 or 25 percent of all of the emergency calls, all of these low level calls that really just don't need police, they need mediation, they need de-escalation and they need some problem solving. When we're doing that, then we can start looking at the next section of calls and discuss whether, you know, how, how we can start to parse out those calls in terms of keeping everybody safe and letting the police focus on murders and robberies and other serious crime. 
Ann Jangs is an organizer with the Coalition for Police Accountability in Oakland. And thank you for talking with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.